Our Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. But there shall be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. They ha- you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we continue with our scripture reading by turning in the New Testament to our sermon passage. This is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Speaking of Jesus, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. The servant was healed at that very moment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight as well as the words of my mouth that we may please you in our meditation on scripture taking in your word and living according to it we pray these things in christ's name amen this is the second of a series that we're starting. We're just going to walk through the book of Matthew. This is the second in the 
series beginning in chapter 8. And it's a short series of three passages. Uh, the leper passage in Matthew 8, 1 through 4. This passage, and then the last passage ending in verse 17, where it says that Jesus was doing this to fulfill a prophecy in Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So that's where we're at in Matthew. Matthew has very clear organization of his storyline as it unfolds about uh, Jesus and what he is up to. Here, he's working in a bigger section of his gospel where he's demonstrating the authority of Christ in his powerful working to heal people. That's what unifies these three short episodes that we're dealing with. We're in the second one now with the centurion uh, passage. And what's uh, remarkable about uh, the first one and the last one, the leper and then Peter's mother-in-law, uh, in, starting in verse 14, is Jesus touches them as part of the healing process. So it's my opinion this again, this is just an opinion, but I, when Jesus says, I will come and heal him, he was intending to go and touch this servant of the centurion. I think that was his intent and why he wanted to go there. Uh, and then interestingly, he's headed off by this centurion. Uh, and so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting that uh, he's kind of foiled in his intent to uh, touch the man. I'll actually get into this next week and why he's doing that. But this is a, a kind of an interesting development, and Jesus is kind of uh, brought up short, in it, as it were. Now, Jesus is in Capernaum. Capernaum is in the uh, north uh, side of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and it's on the edge of it. It's actually on the northwest side. Uh, and you should think of the Sea of Galilee looks like a pear almost. It's uh, that kind of shape. It's not a huge lake, uh, but it is, it's sizable enough. Uh, and it is, uh, Jesus in the north, northern shore of it. And this is a uh, pretty prominent Gentile area. This is why we read that Isaiah passage where it talks about this, uh, this area as Galilee of the Gentiles. In the Isaiah passage, a translation I read is a Galilee of the nations. It's the Gentiles. And interestingly, uh, Matthew quotes that passage that we read from Isaiah 9 in chapter 4 of Matthew. So Matthew quotes that Isaiah 9 passage specifically and says, a light among the Gentiles, a light for the Gentiles has uh, shown now in Christ coming up there. So uh, Matthew is very much aware of this, and what we're seeing here is the first glimmer of light shining in the Gentile area. Now, most of us are Gentiles, uh, not all of us undoubtedly, but most of us are, and those of us who are Gentiles certainly appreciate what's going on here because we are the beneficiaries of Christ reaching out to Gentiles. He's you know, we were, uh, speaking of my own family 2,000 years ago, pig-eating Gentiles. You know, we just, we were, we were unclean. We had no claim on God's favor at all. Distant and foreign, we were pagans. 
Uh, and that's when, that's when Christ started doing a work which has a worldwide implication and has already reached into most parts of the world, though obviously he's not done yet. You'll know when he's done. <laughs> oh, you'll know. And when this work is completed, then his grand work started here will find its completion. So now he's in this Gentile area, Galilee of the Gentiles, and this centurion comes up. Now the centurion was undoubtedly Italian. Uh, it would be very unusual for a centurion not to be at least Italian and probably Roman. Uh, there were differences, uh, but he was either a Roman citizen already or would be at the end of his service. And a centurion is a high-ranking, you could say, enlisted man, but he's kind of like the top sergeant in this unit. Although more like, I would say, a warrant officer, if you know what that means. Uh, really more like an officer than an enlisted man. Uh, and I think it's probable that he's part of a detachment of 150, 200 men who were stationed in Galilee because their main uh, unit was up in Syria, just north of them. And this guy probably was in charge of this detachment. So he was a man who had a considerable authority over the men in his midst, which is, what, of course, what he says here. And this is actually absolutely appropriate and historically correct for a centurion. They were the uh, very important um, professional soldiers. Uh, and you can see his authority here. It is interesting that the... Uh, leper in earlier in chapter 8 had come up to Jesus and he had bowed. He had gotten on his knees to Jesus. Uh, and this guy doesn't, but he does say it's translated here, Lord. Now the word Lord here can also just be rendered sir. So it's a title of honor. It would be like, you know, a military man saying sir uh, to a higher official, a higher ranking officer. That's what you have here, probably, and why he's not bowing. But as this very quick episode unfolds, it's pretty clear that he may not have bowed down, but he's a man who really appreciates what, who Jesus is. Uh, it's, it's very remarkable. Word has come to what Jesus is up to, uh, and he does show him honor. Now, Jesus says, without any hesitation, I will come and I will heal, I will heal him. Uh, I will come. No hesitation. This is the way Jesus was operating. Uh, even to this Gentile. Now, remember, he, he's Italian at least, probably Roman. Uh, and he's a Gentile. This is, this is not a Jewish man. Uh, they were not centurions at this point. And so this is a Gentile. And he says, I will come and I will heal him. Now, I want you to compare this to Acts chapter 10, when Peter is sent to a centurion, it's further south and on the coast, but a different centurion, and Peter tells the centurion that he meets, well, you know, it's unlawful for a Jew to come into the house of a Gentile and have any association with them. 
But Peter's going to go in this centurion's house, but he wants him to know this is really unusual. It's unlawful for me to do this. It's against the law of Moses. Now, what's interesting about that is it's not true. <laughs> it's what he says. That's what he was taught. But it's not true. It was not unlawful, according to the law of Moses, to go and, and go into the home of a Gentile. For it, the Jews could do that. What, what the law actually says in the book of Leviticus is, this is Leviticus 18, it says, you will not practice their paganism. Don't imitate them. Don't do the practices they do. It's not about going into their home and having a meal with them. Just don't make it a pagan meal. Don't sacrifice to pagan gods. That's what's said in the law of Moses. Well, so I want you to see that when Jesus is going to go to the centurion's house, he's not doing anything contrary to the law. There's nothing wrong with that. Peter says so, but he was taught that way. That's what he was taught. But Jesus knows the law better than Peter. <laughs> he wrote it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he knows the law very well. And he's going. And so what you see here is really Jesus coming to fulfill what he came to do. People expected Jesus to take over Israel and turn it into a new kind of kingdom right there in Israel where he would be king in Jerusalem. And he refused time and again to do that. Too small. Too tiny. Not big enough. Do you know what he was taking over? Read the end of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go to all the nations. That's my territory now. Corvallis, Oregon is the territory of the Lord Jesus Christ and every outlying town. This is his land. He is king over all creation in heaven and on earth now. That's what he was up to. Because he would have you as his citizens. That's why he did that. And that's why he remains in, as king over all. And this mission to the Gentiles is suggested here. He didn't start it. You know, interestingly, Jesus didn't actually go to the nations. He sent his apostles. And then in the book of Acts, you see it proceeding. And then it keeps going after the book of Acts is over to where even we are impacted here. And that's what, that's what Jesus is up to. He's starting the ball rolling in his mission to bring in light to the Gentiles in fulfillment of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied it, and now here it's starting. You start seeing the glimmer of light here, and he is going to go. Now, this is pretty interesting. This Gentile says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. All you have to do is say a word, and my servant will be healed. How did he know that? <laughs> How did he know that? What did he expect Jesus to do? To send some sort of angel or something? I don't know. It's hard to read his mind other than to say, with a word, you can do this. 
I give commands by word, and they are obeyed. All you have to do is say a word, and it will be fulfilled. And so this guy had an extraordinary faith. He didn't think that Jesus had to cast a spell, say a certain incantation, give him a a handkerchief that had been blessed to take to him that had certain holy uh, status. All he had to do is speak a word because of his own authority. He recognized that you're... He was in the presence of somebody who had kingly authority. And brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus was demonstrating. And this guy perceives it. Jesus has royal authority as Son of God. He came down from heaven as the Son of God incarnate. God Himself in the person of the Son taking on human flesh so that he would be among us to bring light to us. That's what he's up to. And this guy perceives it. It's amazing. And Jesus tells him and tells those around him, notice what he says. He marvels. I I haven't seen anyone in Israel, my people, display the kind of faith that this Gentile does. This, this guy eats pork. Eats pork. <laughs> he doesn't keep the law of Moses. He's a Gentile, right? I like to think bacon-wrapped shrimp. I mean, <laughs> both are unclean to a Jewish guy. This is his favorite. On the Barbie. I, this is what they're like. You know, it's not so nasty when you think about it. But to a Jewish person, this is unlawful. This is unclean. And Jesus says, my people that I came to, I came for my people, I came for my own, and I prepared them. What did Jesus do to prepare his generation for his coming? He sent prophets. He sent people to inspire Scripture. They have the Scriptures. They can read easily and openly about Jesus. They can read Isaiah and they can see the prophecies of his coming. And here he is. And Jesus says, where is my reception by my people? And this centurion comes and what sort of faith does he have? It's amazing. Look at the faith he has. And brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus is introducing. Faith in him. This is why we emphasize in Protestantism, including this church, the Scripture teaching, faith in Jesus is all you need. You are saved by grace through faith alone. This is part of the evidence of it. Look what Jesus says of this man. People will come from east and west and north and south. It's an echo of Isaiah, right? And it's an echo of Psalm 107 we read at the beginning. People will come from all over. And I tell you, they will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they have faith like this guy. Faith is your entrance into that banquet. Faith. 
Faith in Him. Trusting in Him. Do you have perfect faith? Well, if you do, you're the only one in this room, okay? (laughs) We are fallible. We are still working out our faith in fear and tremble. We are still day by day walking by faith and learning what that means in the midst of trials. Our faith is being hammered on an anvil, but it's real faith. And that's what you need. Did this guy have perfect faith? No, but he sure had impressive faith. He had impressive faith because he cared for his servant. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? This guy was not asking for wealth and fame and a good retirement and a 401k and, you know, all sorts of benefits. He was asking for help for one of his household. A servant in those days was part of your household. These are people dependent on you. One of the things you see over and over when you start reading in the first century is people are reserving part of their tomb for their servants. This is your family. You put your, you have your family in your tombs. And, and they would even say, make sure that my servants have a place in my tomb. And Jesus respects the fact this guy is not thinking about himself, but he's demonstrating faith in Jesus. You know, in this servant, I, I don't think you realize how difficult this was. This, this a centurion who's undoubtedly seen a lot of nasty things in his army life, he was really bothered by his servant's suffering. Uh, he said, we're, we're told, verse 6, my servant is lying paralyzed, suffering terribly. And the word lying there can mean prostrated. It's not the normal term for just lying down. This is actually an unusual term, and it means cast down, prostrated. He's, he's just thrown down like a, a sack of potatoes. And this servant is suffering deeply. And this, there's another place where that appears. Peter's mother-in-law. The same word is used there. She's lying down too. But it's prostrated in the same way. They're, they're helpless. They're in desperate need. And, and this guy has compassion on his servant. And Peter, uh, or, excuse me, Jesus respects that. So now, the, now he calls on Jesus. You exercise your authority. I can command my soldiers to, and my servants to do what I will. Now you do that for me. And Jesus says, well, let it be done as you believed. Let it be done. Notice how Jesus answers prayers. Oh, okay. Let it be done. We, we tend to think that he paces around and, you know, he thinks to himself, well, I don't know. <laughs> I really feel like it's helping today. Jesus doesn't hesitate to help you. There's no hesitation here for those in need who call upon him. You call upon him in the day of trouble. That was also in our psalm. And he help, He gives help. This is what he's like. He has the authority to help you from a distance. The Lord Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's not here with us on earth in body. But he says, I will send my spirit and I will be with you. He is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
and He hears your prayers. And He is willing to help you. He is willing to give you aid in time of need. You cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Just like this thing. Only I would say one thing is required. Ask in faith. Ask like this guy. Ask in faith. You could even use this guy's words in your prayers. Lord, I've got workers under me at the office, and I tell them what to do, and they do it. Maybe you will do that for me now, please. Say a word for me, and it will be done. And call upon him in the day of trouble. But brothers and sisters, there is something the Lord Jesus here guarantees you. You may ask for something here, and his response will be like he gave to his servant Paul. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and he went time and again to the Lord and said, remove this from me. And the Lord said, no, I have a purpose for that. It's my goodwill and for your good that I don't answer that prayer yet. But there's an inheritance for you if you trust in Jesus. If you have faith in him, there is an inheritance that Jesus indicates here, reclining at table with Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Abigail, David, all the saints of old reclining at that table. And here it is outlined for us. In a book, the Lord Jesus says, write this down and send it to my people. I want them to see this. I want them to hear it. Yes, it's in kind of picture form, but it's sent to you to hear today. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. These are the true words of God the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That's what he was guaranteeing for you because the marriage feast of the Lamb is guaranteed to you by his sacrificial death on the cross. That's what it cost him to bring you to his banquet table. And brothers and sisters, it's guaranteed. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a place at that table. Hallelujah. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, your authority, your might, your majesty, your wisdom, your kindness, your compassion, your gentleness with us is so wonderful. It is so beyond compare, O Lord. We hardly know what to say in light of it except to thank you and to praise your holy name. We thank you that you have purchased for us a place at that table with all the saints of old, that we may sit in glory with all of our pains and struggles no more in memory because we 
See your glory, O Lord. We know that we have life everlasting in joyful company with your saints before you giving you praise. Until that day, O Lord, we pray that you will help us to persevere in our most holy faith by the grace of the Lord, through the strength of your spirit, to the glory of God the Father, we pray in your holy name. Amen.